4. Lucius Seneca sat down on a protruding part of the altar of Augustus, the Arapasis, the altar of peace. Previously it had been placed on the field of Mars but the emperor moved it to his forum to celebrate the divine Augustus. More than a hundred years old it is still standing as a reminder of Rome's first emperor and the Pax Romana, a time when the Romans lived in peace with several of their neighbors. The thumb and index finger of his right hand rolled a long piece of charcoal back and forth, the left hand held the papyrus. His toga was of finest quality, dazzling white, but soiled with black coal by his graceful hands. In ordinary cases, and despite his age, he was very interested and careful when it came to his appearance and clothing. Several gold rings with precious stones of various colors glittered in the evening sun. He scratched his head irritably with the back of the charcoal stick. Some of his thin, light gray hair turned black. Let those stinking sons of prostitutes in the Senate forever wander in the underworld as unfortunately mures. Will the conflict over the arms trade regain momentum once more? What will happen if Atanas and Senator Gobulus get their way? Rumors are spreading like fleas in a pack of dogs, and this make many men extremely annoyed. Optimus is more stubborn than death, so he will be the first person to pick up his gladius. If the Senate and the traders are fighting each other, the criminal gangs will again grow stronger. The business will suffer and the citizens must buy themselves security and have no money left for my masterpieces, neither poetry nor plays. So I will be poorer. Let those shite-eaters drown in the river. Ori sacrifames, the cursed hunger for gold, he mumbled. I have a feeling that the Senate will enforce the law, sooner or later. Will I then be forced to move from Rome? Perhaps to Athens, Cyprus or Crete? Why not? He sighed. No, Rome is my home, I want to spend my last days in the city, nowhere else. I am too old to travel, too tired. For a true Roman there is no other place than this. He thought of all the great days he had spent in the city. Do not forget the evenings and the nights he added with a smile. During Trajan, the victorious and wise, we have enjoyed a wonderful time. For twenty years we have had excess of everything in the city. I do not know if I have played a part in this, but a person's basic personality is set in childhood, and my time with the emperor during his early years in Hispania might have meant something. Already at that time in life, even though he was not destined to lead the world. He was wise and fair but hard and unrelenting if necessary. It was almost fifty years ago but he still smiled at the memories. Rome had been lucky. Nerva was a wise man who adopted Trajan as his son. He realized that the legionaries followed their general and that they saw the greatness in him. If the historians are correct, it's only Emperor Augustus that can be compared with him. He patted the marble stone he sat on. Ori Sacrifame, he said again. Why are you sitting here alone and mumbling? Seneca glanced up, recognizing the voice. 
Marius Scopius stood in front of him. Ruddy faced and out of breath, stomach swaying from side to side. Mumbling? What are you talking about? I observe historic events. Reality often outrival fiction. A poet must always study his surroundings. Mm, true, it's so true. In my eagerness to describe this reality that you are talking about, I would like a comment from Rome's great poet for the next edition of Actoderna. Ah, you are right Scopius, so right. Roma poet Anobolissima want to inform the public of Rome that his most popular work is one in the future. Maybe it starts here and now. The charcoal pencil spun quickly in his hand and he looked with distress at Scopius. If I could ask for some peace and quiet, please. A papyrus sheet lay in his lap. Sure, of course, I understand what you mean. When the need to create is strong, I myself cannot stop writing. Before Scopius turned, he threw a glance at the sheet in Seneca's lap. With a meticulous style and clear letters, it said Oedipus at the top of the sheet. What a slob, Seneca thought. Calling himself a poet just because he writes some silly lines about what is happening around his fat feet. Shameful. It is a joke that he compares himself with me, Lucius Seneca. He blew out air between his compressed lips and shook his head. Everyone who speaks with Marius Scopius are forced to think about what they say, otherwise they will get their unwanted secrets publicly displayed in his so-called news writing. And we all have things we want to hide. He chuckled. In a house in the Sabura he had a room, that room was one of the reasons to go on living. Well, in addition to continuing my masterful creations of course. She was a mix of Egyptian and Hispania, she was like fire and water, but she never fully quenched the thirst raging in his burning body. It had not always been like this. When his wife was in Rome, may the gods let lightning hit her she kept on making him insane. Massive as a full-grown wild boar and not a bit more attractive, she tried to control him and place herself in his life as an evil demon. A few weeks earlier, he had managed to persuade her to visit their villa on the coast. Ah! You're lucky dear Lucius, your old whoremonger. He chuckled to himself. The Sabura was Rome's most wonderful but dangerous place. Beyond the Emperor Forums and north of the great amphitheatre, it attracted men to find happiness but death lured around every corner. It had very thing a man could wish for. Whatever happened in life, in the Sabura the consolation was not far away. He shrugged. This will be a great day whatever happens. There will be many other days with new ideas for my tragic dramas, I am sure, so sure. Carpe diem, my friend. Come on, start writing. Many people that stood around the little man looked at him and smiled, they turned and whispered to each other. Seneca was known throughout Rome and much appreciated. After all the years people had seen the eccentric poet they had become used to him talking to himself. It's nice to see that Seneca are still with us and in good vigor. 
Helios nodded towards Oropasis. All three glanced over their shoulders at the altar honoring Pax, goddess of peace. Citizens had only one week earlier celebrated her honor. They saw Seneca sitting on the steps leading up to the altar, bending over a papyrus sheet eagerly writing and completely in his own world. The bright marble seemed to glitter in the afternoon sun. It had been a gift from the Senate to the Emperor Augustus at his return from Hispania. By his efforts, he had kept the Roman peace, Pax Romana. The old foolishness, he does not have a lot to contribute, Wolf said in his heavy accent. Speaking of the elderly, how are Amias doing these days? Hilius froze when he heard Wolf speak about his adoptive father, the general. Seneca is an outstanding poet and author, Ptolemy interrupted. Poets do not win any battles, remember that. You're too young to understand, boy. You should know that a man have to be able to fight with a sword. A gladius in one hand and a shield in the other. Not scribbling with a piece of coal like a worthless woman. During a fraction of a second Ptolemy's eyes hardened, but just as quickly the contempt disappeared under the surface. Wolf did not notice the passing look the young man gave him. Yes, you are so right, Mr. Mayno. Hilius heard defiance hidden in the tone of the young Julius Stelomis voice. I just wanted to express my admiration for his artistic ability. Yes, yes, but first you must learn to become a man. Do you understand? It was obvious that the half-barbarian wanted to show his Roman side, to blend in among the other citizens. But he would never become a Roman. He was always doomed to remain an outsider. Optimus son or not, he will never have the same opportunity either in Rome or Alexandria, the poor man, Hilius thought. I agree with Julius. Seneca is an outstanding artist poet and playwriter. One of history's best, I would say. Bah, just a whoremonger, forgive the careless words my gentleman, but he has never been a man. Just a hustler, you hear? It's different with your father Helius. He was and still is a man. With the Germanic accent the insult sounded worse than Wolf perhaps had meant. Helius shuddered as he remembered his adoptive father the general, who won successes on the battlefield, and despite his low descent became recognized among Rome's higher classes, and finally got a seat in the Senate. Since he was four years old Hilius had lived with the general on Aventin and hated it. Hated every day. The general ruled his family as he commanded his legions, with an iron fist, both figuratively and literally. Hilius could still feel his adoptive father's rock-hard fists against his body. Worst was every time the stick appeared. More times than he could remember he had been blue, yellow and brown after repetitive punishments. Rules and discipline was the only way to succeed in life. Pater Familius is the head of the family. He has unlimited power over everyone in the household. A father can kill a son without anyone lifting a finger. But now the old general was only a remnant of his former self. 
forgetful, confused, bent and weak. Remius never went out of his domus. I hope he is as much tormented as me and my sister have been. I will never forget or forgive. Many years earlier, during the unrest related to the arms trade with the legions, Optimus and his adoptive father had come in conflict with each other. The quarrel had quickly escalated and the general had proudly and arrogantly challenged Dux to a duel. To the death, if you will, he had bragged. The fight had been unmatched. Remius endured more pain than he previously ever had experienced. Since that day Helius and his sister adored Dux Marcus Optimus. In retrospect, he realized that the trader probably had saved their lives after the humiliation his adoptive father hid away and the physical part of their upbringing decreased but the verbal attacks continued until they moved out from his domus. He threw a glance behind the large portico at the entrance to the forum, up towards their home on Aventin. A warm feeling spread in his body. Secundier was all he had left the only one he could turn to and talk to about the difficult childhood they had. It was important to have someone to share the pain with. During adolescence, they had been so close to each other. Helius knew it was different for Ptolemy. As a child, he had continued to live with his Egyptian family in the Sabura together with other barbarians. But Optimus had secretly helped him with a private tutor until he became an adult. At sixteen Wolf took over. Learning the northern barbarians language was a difficult task to master and Wolf Mano was not the man who hesitated to use the whip. He imagined that Julius Ptolemy had no one to confide in, no one who cared, no one to love. How can Dux allow such a harsh treatment of Ptolemy, even if he is a bastard? Optimus must think it's extremely important that his half-bastard learn that dreadful language. Wolf must have negotiated a favor or something. Or did he know something about Optimus? Something unfavorable about him? One thing is certain, the Germanic barbarian has often said that he will return to the northern forests and wilderness. How many times had Wolf vividly described the Germanic women? Several times he had, without shame, said they can fight better than many men and they have such large breasts that you disappear between them. Then he laughed with his crazy, booming voice. A head taller than most, big and rough. This and his behavior clearly contributed to the fact that most Romans were afraid of him. Will he get his own small kingdom in the north? Wolf has helped the Romans many times and Optimus has got powerful contacts. If anyone can arrange it, it is ducks. Didn't Emperor Trajan visit the north before he turned his troops against Parthia? If I remember correctly, he was in Germania to quell a rebellion, or? Or was it Lucius Zura who subdued the rebellion against a tribe that since the beginning of time been enemies of Wolf's people? If I am not mistaken did Wolf went with Zura, or was he back here in Rome? Stories from younger officers had for years been told about the brutality of the battle. They all said that Wolf Mano had killed hundreds. 
the hatred Wolf felt for one of the Germanic tribes that now was exterminated, originated in his childhood. When Emperor Domitian, twenty years earlier, had quenched Lucius Saturninus' rebellion in Upper Germania, Wolf's tribe had chosen to support Domitian, while the nearby tribe Tungri joined with Saturninus. During the escape from the fighting, Tungri warriors assaulted Wolf's caravan of wagons. The fugitives had only been women and children. When Wolf had been ten years old, he had seen his entire family slaughtered, his mother, brothers and sisters. He had been lying under a grotesquely fat woman that had an axe in her head. He had nearly suffocated, but it saved his life. No one had bothered to look under the massive pile of body parts. His father died in the fighting against the rebel Saturninus legionnaires. Alone he had wandered for days in the woods, starving and confused. A small group of legionaries found him unconscious and near death. Although he knew was seen as a barbarian, and had endured much suffering during his early years in the city, Wolf loved Rome and the Romans. Since the day he was found, his life's mission had been to help the Romans. What's up Helius? Wolf looked at the slender Roman. What? Nothing. I just disappeared in thoughts. Life gives us much to think about, right? He scratched his beard. Yes. Will you ever move back to Germania? The Germanian's gaze was lost in the horizon. There was silence for a moment. Is it something I want? Wolf asked himself. I do not know. It has been almost twenty years. What do I have left in the north? Alone, without family, without support. He was mostly talking to himself. Would Wolf reveal something about his future? Hylas wondered. Then suddenly the large barbarian's eyes changed, they became empty and turned inwards. Helius thought of what Wolf had said before, that he had nothing. Why do some have so much? Why lovers, me included only have enough to buy food and rent a small apartment? Secundia and I barely manage between my missions. Still, I've been lucky to have long Vinius appreciation for my skills as an interpreter and administrator. By Jupiter, he is a poor pair. If I worked for the smugglers or the trading houses, Optimus or Malasius, I would earn much more, so much more. Imagined to be as rich as ducks. Life would be much easier and we could have more slaves, better food, a villa by the sea in Greece, and even our own bodyguards. He stopped his daydreaming. The dangers of being a trader were huge and they could easily lose it all to pirates and criminal gangs. Would he manage rise up again in the same way Optimus had done several times? He doubted it. No, I cannot be as ruthless and brutal as ducks. Rumors circulated in Rome that Optimus Quirinlis had lost several ships heading towards Hispania. Ten thousand new swords and three catapults, worth a fortune. If this is true, how much damage would it do to Optimus? If he became destitute and poor, what would happen to Julius Ptolemy?
no one would care about him, they would perhaps even enslave him, if not Duck's protective hand was hanging over his head. Unfortunate man, he must hate us all.